Hello listeners, welcome to another episode on Rising Above Shadows of Abuse, Raza, with your host, Grace Hopper. Today's episode centers around world news and abuse. BBC News by Laura Beaker, Manila, Philippines. Philippines sees a pandemic booming child sex abuse. Seven-year-old Eric giggles, showing off a broad toothless green as he talks about space travel in the shade of a garden, surrounded by lush, thick forest, a few hours north of the Philippines capital, Manila. Eric dreams of flying a rainbow-colored rocket to Saturn. He's quite small for his age. His social worker asks him, What do you cry about during therapy? He answered, I cry about my parents, he says, looking at the ground. Federline Marie Baldo has spent months with Eric, his 10-year-old sister Maria, and two older brothers to help them understand that theirs is not a normal childhood. For years, when their neighborhood was asleep, much of the Western world was awake, The four children were forced to perform live sex shows for pedophiles around the world. They were raped and repeatedly sexually abused on camera by their mother. Their father, aunt and uncle also took part. It was the children's father who eventually reported his wife and her family to the police, allegedly after a dispute. Investigators traced payment to the family from accounts in the UK and Switzerland. Months later... Eric, his brothers and sister, ended up at a home run by charity, Preda, which focuses on helping sexually abused children. That has been Miss Baldur's job for 17 years. In that time, images and videos of child sexual abuse have ballooned into a billion-dollar industry in the Philippines, now the world's largest known source of such exploitation. Grinding poverty, high-speed internet access, and an ability to accept instructions in English have all kept it going. The pandemic came. More than two years of lockdowns and some of the world's longest school closures left vulnerable children stuck at home with cash-strapped parents desperate to make money. A recent study by UNICEF and Save the Children estimates that around one in five Filipino children are now at risk of sexual exploitation, putting the grim figure close to two million. Ms. Baldo fears that the abuse is becoming normalized in the Philippines and may become endemic in some of the country's poorest neighborhoods. Filipinos' president, Bongbong Marcos, has declared an all-out war on child sexual abuse and the industry it has spurred. But so far, it's a war the Philippines is not winning. Manila, as the clock ticks towards dawn, a team from the National Bureau of Investigation has gathered near a graveyard. Flashlights are kept low, guns are loaded, cameras are ready to film evidence. As the team leader gives a final briefing, they're under pressure to get results. Amid the tombstones in this densely populated city, a family live among the dead. A 36-year-old mother is on her smartphone in a wooden hut built against some of the largest monuments in the cemetery. She thinks she's messaging a paying customer in Australia who is requesting a live sex show involving her three children. In truth, her texts are going on to an undercover police officer. As she switches on the camera, around a dozen officers rush 
through narrow paths to her door. The only warning is when the stray dogs start to bark. There was no resistance. As a female officer takes the children to safety and others start to bag evidence, sex toys, smartphones, receipts, detailing overseas payments. As with many of these arrests, this one too is the result of his tip-off from abroad. The Australian Federal Police told the BBC they caught a man at an airport with a storage device full of explicit child abuse videos. His phone allegedly contained messages between him and a woman in the Philippines requesting money in exchange for the videos. The operation took dozens of officers, weeks to plan and led to two arrests, one in Manila and the other in Sydney, Australia. Australian officials said they had recorded an increase of around 66% in reports of child exploitation in the last year. They're working alongside teams from the International Justice Mission, the UK National Crime Agency and the National Police of the Netherlands and officers in the Philippines to try to find child sex offenders. Once they identified them, they tried to track down the source of the material. But often the only way the abuse is reported is when the child comes forward. And even then, it's a long road ahead. Social workers say they had to spend days, even weeks, pushing local police to rescue the children and file charges against the parents. Sometimes we get the cooperation of law enforcement authorities. Other times the actions of people who are supposed to really protect the children are delayed, says Immanuel Drury from Predator. The organization first set up a child's home for girls back in the 1970s near the port city of Olongagpo, once home to a large American naval base. It had become a hub for sex tourism, illegal prostitution between foreign men and Filipina girls, often still in their teens and trafficked into the industry, or young women pushed into the sex trade by family pressure and economic desperation. Social workers fear much of the sexual abuse here is generational. Many of the children's mothers were also raped or sexually assaulted. They believe their view is, it happened to me, I did this to survive, and so must you. Father Shay Cullen, president of Preda, has been fighting for the rights of abused children in the Philippines since 1974. He wants a global solution to this new and growing problem. There has to be an international law. This is the only way all national governments need to really put restrictions on the internet cooperations. They must cooperate to restrict the passage of child abuse material and the online streaming of the sexual abuse of children. Things are changing, he agrees, but slowly. Prada has used an emotional release therapy called Prima for decades to help children cope with the emotional impact of physical and sexual abuse. Prada is struggling for resources. The center near Manila can only afford to take around 100 children a year, but so many need more help. Eric's older brother was first placed in a nearby orphanage without his siblings before he was moved to the Prada center. Social workers at the center say that around 40% of abused children who've been in the care go on to live a life safe from harm, and every success story keeps them going. One of Eric's older brother is still too traumatized to talk. Their sister Maria, Miss Balder once, also speaks little. Miss Balder said, when Eric and his siblings arrived, they were very meek and docile and untrusting of the world and of the others. But months later, they're able to tell their story, every horrifying detail, to the social workers. All four children have also testified against their family, a requirement by Philippines courts. 
That's actually very important because that's where the quest for justice begins, she said. If you've been affected by this news, seek professional help. DW News, reported by Timothy Jones, 28th of November 2022. A former teacher has been accused of more than 100 cases of sexual abuse against children and teenagers. The crimes allegedly occurred over more than two decades in the western state of Hesse. State prosecutors in the German city of Frankfurt, A.M. Main, confirmed to DW on Monday that they had charged a former teacher on more than 100 counts of sexual abuse involving children and young people. The 47-year-old man from Göttingen has been in pretrial detention since January, according to the AFP news agency. The crimes are said to have taken place from 1998 to the end of 2021. The accused is charged with serious sexual abuse of children and others in his care. The German authorities were said to have been alerted by U.S. investigators who alleged that the man had spread child sex abuse material on the Internet. A search of the man's apartment then turned up indications of his alleged crimes recorded on data storage devices. The indictment contains 64 charges of abusing children ages below 14 and 35 charges of abusing juveniles aged 14 to 17. What are your thoughts? A teacher abusing his own students. What are your thoughts on this? Kindly send an email to risingaboveshadowsofabuse at gmail.com. iNews by Marisa Bate, November 29th, 2022. During the 2018 World Cup, calls to NSPCC about domestic abuse jumped 33%. In the coming weeks, adults who come into contact with children are advised to be vigilant around match times. Government data suggests that overall, there are 250,000 children victims of domestic abuse living in the UK. The sound of football coming from the living room that I remember most, says Jennifer, remembering her father watching matches when she was growing up. It will be so loud taking over the whole house. That white noise of a chanting crowd. If his team, Arsenal or England scored, he jumped up, shout and clap. And then he'll go to the kitchen. I hear the fridge door open, the rattle of a wine bottle or another can being opened. But if the other side scored or his team were losing, things will be different. The fridge door will slam a bit harder. Maybe we'll hear him swear. Either way, I know that that evening he'll be violent and abusive towards my mother. According to Jennifer, football was always a problem, but the worst of all was the World Cup. Every four years, charities work hard to raise public awareness around the spike in domestic abuse that accompanies the international football tournament. It commonly quoted starts from a 2014 study by Lancaster University states that incidents recorded to Lancaster police increased by 38% if England lost during the World Cup compared to when they weren't playing and increased by 26% if they won or drew. Even though the study is now eight years old, it remains a conservative estimate. Many victims don't report abuse at all, and in the intervening years, domestic abuse incidents have risen, 
as prosecutions continue to decrease. Yet, while charities, researchers and even the footballing community has tried to draw attention to the increase in domestic abuse during previous World Cups, there is another group of victims and survivors which have often been overlooked, the children living in households with an abuser. Last week, the NSPCC released figures that show during the 2018 World Cup calls to the helpline about domestic abuse jumped by a third, 33%, on the monthly average, reaching over 1,000 calls. These calls came from a mix of concerned adults and children themselves, including 13-year-old Jessica, who had seen her brother punch her mother in the face after coming home drunk from an England game. Jessica called the police. Similarly to the NSPCC findings, Childline also saw a 17% increase on the monthly average for the number of counselling sessions delivered to children and young people about domestic abuse during the World Cup. Government data suggests that overall, there are 250 children victims of domestic abuse living in the UK. Children were recognised legally as victims of domestic abuse for the first time only last year in the Domestic Abuse Act 2021, having previously been seen as weaknesses rather than victims. Campaigners say it was a change that was long overdue given the extremity of the trauma caused directly to children. A study from 2017 published in the European Journal of Psychotraumatology showed those who grew up in abusive households can suffer the same levels of PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, as soldiers returning from war. I call the adults and the children co-victims and co-survivors, says Dr. Emma Katz, a leading academia in the field and author of Cohesive Control in Children and Mothers' Lives. They are both being harmed by the exact same thing, the regime of cohesive control and the abuser. But despite the severity of the impact, understanding of children's victims of domestic abuse is 30 years behind where we are with adult victims, says Dr. Kars. This research has found that perpetrators regulate how people can behave in the home, and that includes children. If a mother's money is controlled through economic abuse, the children will suffer too, not having enough to eat, while the perpetrator may treat themselves to football tickets or Sky Support subscription. Or if the mother's not allowed to go out, children will miss out on trips out of the house too. Also a constant atmosphere of fear. Children are unable to be sheltered from that. And Dr. Katz points out, even if a mother leaves, the family might be subject to forms of post-separation abuse, including stalking. As well as being victims, children can also be weaponized against the mother by an abuser, says Dr. Katz, either by manipulating the children to turn against her, attempting to undermine, isolate or humiliate her, or abusing the children to cause further distress. There will be many different acts of child abuse and neglect as part of the coercive controls, she says. It's all part and parcel of maintaining dominance, keeping control and keeping everyone compliant. Dr. Cass's work has found that abusers want their children to exist in two different states, either to be affectionate, loving and engaged when the perpetrator wants them to be or when they are not in the mood to be a parent. They want their children to disappear and not have any needs. Children have to learn to switch between these two states and suss out which one they're supposed to be, which is incredibly stressful. There's also fears that additional factors like regular drinking can aggravate domestic abuse during the World Cup month.
Many experts in the violence against women and children sector are at pains to point out that alcohol, drugs or gambling don't cause abuse. They can exacerbate an already dangerous perpetrator. The NSPPC report gambling and drinking are common factors that come into play during this time. Coming weeks. Kelly advises adults who come into contact with children like teachers, neighbors or parents or friends to be vigilant around match times. The NSPPC is also calling on the government to push through the victim's bill in order to provide adequate support for children's victims. After the success of the Domestic Abuse Act, we now need children's services to reflect what is available to adults, more resources, better alignment so that children get what they specifically need. We urgently need the Deputy Prime Minister to focus on this bill, get it back through Parliament and work to strengthen it. There has been so much controversy around this World Cup says jennifer human rights abuses the corruption of fifa but still people aren't talking about the hundreds and thousands of children who would dread each game who are living in a trauma that we are still failing or perhaps refusing to see and it stays with you the noise of football fans in the stadium sends me back to a very dark place if you've been affected by this kindly seek professional help Metro Newspapers, Monday 28th November, by Daniels Beans. Russian soldiers ordered to use rape of children as a weapon of war. Russian soldiers have been ordered from the top to use rape, castration and sexual abuse of children as weapons of war, the wife of Ukraine's president has claimed. Speaking at the conference in London, Olena Zelenska said Vladimir Putin's troops were systematically using sexual violence during the invasion of her country. She alleged some Russian wives were even urging their husbands to rape Ukrainian women. Her demand to bring the perpetrators to account comes after a UN report last month found evidence that a string of war crimes had been carried out since the conflict began in February, with most violations committed by the invading Russian forces. Investigators also uncovered multiple cases of sexual abuse and violence, Cases include allegations that Ukrainian prisoners of war were tortured and castrated, along with claims of children being sexually abused and women raped. However, UN workers are still looking into the extent to which the atrocities amounted to a widespread pattern. This was the first time Zelenska had visited the UK since Rishi Sunak became Prime Minister. The Prime Minister's wife welcomed the Ukrainian First Lady to 10 Downing Street where they met a group of primary school children. Speaking at the Preventing Sexual Violence in Conflict conference yesterday, the wife of President Zelensky said she had no doubt such horrific incidents were a tactical decision. Sexually related crimes are not just about violence or threatening people. They are in fact another weapon in their arsenal in this war, she said. This is why it's, it's extremely important to recognize these as war crimes and bring all the perpetrators to justice. Ms. Zelenska added, This is systematic because it's coming from the top down, and Russian servicemen are very open about this. They talk about this over the phone with their relatives. Ukraine's first lady said, Intercepted phone calls have even shown their wives are encouraging this. They say, Go on, rape this Ukrainian woman. Just don't share it with me. I do hope there will be and has to be a response from the free world to everything that is happening in Ukraine now.
representatives from 17 countries are attending the UK conference. Organizers said evidence has shown up to 30% of women and girls in conflict-affected regions experience sexual violence. Foreign Secretary James Cleverly said sexual violence in conflict was a clear breach of international law. We will now rest in our efforts to protect potential victims and prosecute the perpetrators. The Prime Minister, Mr. Sunak, said, I saw how Russia's focus is shifting from bruising encounters on the battlefield to brutalizing the civilian population. Mr. Sunak said it was written in the stories of the first responders I met from liberated Kirsten, from the torture chambers to the bloody traps left in children's toys. Russia has denied its troops have committed war crimes and in some cases has accused Ukraine and the West of staging atrocities. We must do more to eradicate wartime rape and wartime abuse. BBC News. London fighters face sack over bullying and racist behaviour. The report by London Fire Brigade says, If female firefighters aren't safe from men, neither are we. Firefighters face the sack if they're found to have bullied or been racist, misogynistic or homophobic, the London Fire Brigade's boss said. Commissioner Andy Rowe made the comment after an independent review found the brigade was institutionally misogynistic and racist. The review detailed accounts ranging from women being groped to people having their helmets filled with urine. The review was ordered after a fireman took his own life in August 2020. This review was led by Nazar Afzal, a former chief crown prosecutor, the report found the fire service had dangerous levels of ingrained prejudice against women, while colleagues from minority backgrounds were frequently the target of racist abuse. The report made 23 recommendations and was based on the experiences of hundreds of staff members. Misogyny, racism and bullying was found in fire service. It listed a number of instances of abuse and poor behaviour at almost all levels of London Fire Brigade, LFB, including multiple cases of bullying and the targeting of ethnic minorities and women, with some complaints not investigated. A black firefighter had a noose put by his locker. Women sexually taunted, including one who received video calls from a man exposing his genitalia. Men huddled around a screen watching porn at some fire stations. A Muslim firefighter, bullied because of his faith, had bacon put in his sandwich by colleagues. A female firefighter told the review the threshold for bullying was so high, you will have to gorge someone's eyes out to get sucked. Everything else is seen as banter. The behavior of some staff left a clear trail of psychological harm. The report also found. Talking to the BBC, Mr. Alfsad said, I sat with a very senior female officer who said to me through tears that whenever she goes through a dangerous incident, she's always thinking, will the men have my back? Will the men around me protect me, given how they have treated me back at the station? If they feel they can't trust the men around them because of their behavior or misbehavior and worse, then they aren't safe and neither are we. 
Lucy Massoud, who worked as a firefighter for LFB from 2006 until 2018, said the service needed to take the review seriously and stop virtue signaling. The present themselves has been very diverse and inclusive and spent tens of thousands of pounds every single year on organizations like Stonewall, which is merely just a tick box exercise that doesn't actually help any firefighters on the ground, she said. Miss Masood, who also worked as a discipline representative for the Fire Brigade Union, FBU, said she saw managers move victims of bullying away from the station they were based in rather than deal with the bullying. She added that the full blame should not be placed on firefighters but with managers. When it's coming from management and firefighters see the management are acting in a certain way, it's going to sink down into the stations. In response, Commissioner Rowe said there will be a zero-tolerance approach to bullying, harassment and discrimination. What that means, if we think about the immediate steps, is that I expect to dismiss people as a result of this report. Clearly, there are some disturbing examples of where we have betrayed public confidence and trust. When asked how many could lose their jobs, he added, if we find that you have behaved in a way that is highlighted in this report, there is not a place for you in the London Fire Brigade. In a way, the numbers don't matter to me, he said. They needed to start the process immediately, and there were no estimates on how much it will cost. He added, I've been in rooms where people use frankly racist language and I call it out and head on. I explain how it made me feel. I wanted to have a conversation with people as much as anything because my experience of this is that people don't even know they are causing offences sometimes. The review was established in response to the death of firefighter Jaden Esprit who took his own life in August 2020. His family were concerned he had been bullied because of his race, the report said. The commissioner said he would apologize to his family as I have met them previously. I would ask them if they could see the report as a catalyst for change this organization needs. And that report was driven by the tragic death of their son. So if there has to be a legacy for Jaden, then let it be that he was the reason we called this report in such a way and let his legacy be one of the change. Further said, the police forces, the BBC and the NHS were pivotal to the British society and yet there are people within them that are seriously concerned about the way they've been treated. There needs to be a national inquiry, particularly in relation to misogyny because this is a subject that hasn't had the attention that it deserves. In response, the BBC said it was a modern and inclusive organisation that seeks to create a culture where everyone can thrive professionally and produce their best work. We have a zero-tolerance approach and we encourage anyone who has a weakness or been subject to inappropriate behaviour to report it. This has been Grace Opa for Raza, Rising Above Shadows of Abuse. If you've been affected by any of the newsreel today, Try and get professional help. Be safe and be positive. Thank you. See you on our next episode. If you've got any questions or inquiries, you can get in touch rising above shadows of abuse at gmail.com or our social media platforms rising above shadows of abuse at TikTok, Rising Above Shadows of Abuse, Twitter, Rising Above Abuse.
YouTube, Rising Above Shadows of Abuse.